0: Well, uh, I saw some interesting news today about, and I only like half the people hear about this, but supposedly they know what the new iPhones are going to be. See that? Just came out today. No, I didn't. So they're going all uh, the new, you know, new design that has no home button in the notch. Ugh. Yep. I hate the notch. So there'll be the, basically like the iPhone XS, although they probably won't call it the S or whatever, but they'll, it'll, just the current one, but mm-hmm. just with better guts and newer processor and probably a slightly better camera, like the what they always do yeah um and then there's basically a plus version of that so the so the regular the iphone 10 one that you have you have a 10 right yeah yeah five it's a 5.8 inch oled are not they going away from oled <clears throat> nope no, no they're going to toward oled oh I thought they're having issues with the supplier or something not going to go yeah. away from it i don't know i mean not, not yet anyway or at least not for this round and then there's gonna be a 6.5 inch, so bigger than that, so like kind of like a plus version of that. And that's also OLED. Oh.
1: Um,
0: they're both stainless steel. Both stainless th- steel. Yeah, they're not aluminum. Huh. Uh, is, is that one aluminum? No, that one's stainless steel. Is it? Yep. Yeah. I thought it was aluminum. Yep. Nope. Okay. Um. Yeah. And then there will be a 6.1-inch. So slightly bigger than the current iPhone 10, but not as big as this new Plus one, six point one inch. That's um, not OLED; it's you know LCD or whatever. And it will only have a single camera, so it's the cheap. It's the cheap one.
1: Single so it only camera. have a single
0: camera. Yep, single camera. Like Yours has a dual, f- right, on the back. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. <coughs> Sorry, dual lens or whatever. Okay.
1: Because okay. I, I imagine if they're going away with the home button, then it's still it's going to use um, face recognition, right? So it would have to have a camera on the front and the back. Yeah. No, I don't
0: have the front camera. What Just, you're saying
1: is it's not going to have that dual kind of depth perception tech or whatever
0: that right. is. Yep. And then what is the SLP? It'll have a non-stacked SLP, whatever that means. Um, and then a little bit less, it'll have a little bit less RAM, 3 gig instead of 4 gig. Hmm. That's good to know that because I've been, I need a new phone bad. This one's two years now and it's like the, it's weird. The, what do you call it? The, um. The proximity sensor, so when you hold up to your face, the screen turns off. It's mm-hmm. gotten so sensitive now that when I'm just using my phone with my hand, if it, my hand gets like too close to the top of the phone, it just it goes it kicks in and turns my phone off. Huh. Or if I hold it up to take a picture, like the screen turns off because it it's gone nuts. <laughs> that could be annoying. Yep.
1: <clears throat> now this this phone is fine. I'll, I'm not going to upgrade it, obviously, but. I don't like the notch,
0: I still don't like it, even even having owned one and used it. I just think it's something you have to get used to because didn't the new Google phone, the Pixel 2 or whatever, I don't know what it's called. Does um, it have a notch? It's gonna, yep, it looks just like an iPhone. I mean, at least <laughs> from, the, from the far away kind of screenshots I saw. Hmm. It's yeah. got the notch, it looks just like the iPhone notch. This is a, this is a notchy world, I mm-hmm.
1: guess. Very few new We live, in, live in a world of notches. <laughs> I
0: think that's a good title right there. <laughs> Let's see, do we have anything we need to follow up on from last week? Um, I think someone said I was right and you were wrong. No. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Matt, Matt had some nice comments on our discussion last week about the, the, the whole certified technical architect process and yeah, and how that, you know, what I don't know, I guess the history of it, where, it's, where it is now and... and how you're, I don't know, how you're intended to help clients with it or whatever. <clears throat> it was, he had, he had, to, you know, he does a lot of this stuff, so it's interesting to get that feedback from him. Yeah. Anything, any, anything particular in there that you wanted to talk about? No, just that, that I was right and you were wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what was I wrong about? I don't remember. Yeah, I, I think either. you were wrong about just the process because I think you had said that there that they only it was all Salesforce employees, but I think you said that. At some point, they actually had outside people come in that were part of the board. They and, did, but apparently, but then they, some people were saying that that's gone away. That might have gone away, or it might have been all brought right. back, or so there's there's some vag vagarity there. Yeah, uh, vagueness. I don't know vagary. I don't
0: I don't know words. Yeah, words are hard. Words are hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know that it matters that much whether it's all Salesforce people or Salesforce people and and Salesforce for, and. And Salesforce people who have picked people to do it for them. I mean, I, I don't know that really matters. They're going to they're pick the kind of people they want. And, you know, all these programs. I mean, it, and I, I think there's definitely some benefits to some of them, mm-hmm. particularly the CTA. I mean, and, and I definitely, uh, I, put some, I put some stock in Matt's opinion on this because I'd say he knows a lot more about it than I do. But you know, he just talked about how it's just, it's a really good process to go through. You'll learn a lot, you know. Um, <clears throat> but Salesforce creates all these things to benefit Salesforce. And sure. and in and for situations in which like y- your uh, incentives line up with Salesforce's incentives, you'll benefit from them. But I mean, a lot of Salesforce incentive incentives do not line up with my incentives, and that that's just things to keep in mind. I mean, they everything about these programs are designed to help Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, again, sometimes that benefits you, and sometimes it kind of works against you. Yeah. All right, well, well, if that was all the follow-up we have, then that's all the um, something pissed me off this week, which is, because I use, I, it, on, my, on my computer anyway, I use TweetBot, and I'm, I don't do Twitter very much anymore, so it's not <laughs> I don't that either. big of a deal. I'm off of it. I don't, I don't use it. I don't use that. I use Facebook. Yeah, the internet's just gotten
1: Well, I, was, I mean, our posts do go out on Twitter and Facebook, but that's just automated. It's just a, a flag I check whenever yeah. I do the post, but I'm not actively in there. Um, every once in a while, I'll go in and kind of check just to see if anyone's direct messaging us, which they are. But, so I'm sorry I'm not responding on those platforms, well, but I just at least I don't it, use them.
0: Uh, have it set up to notify, like email you if you get a DM or something. I don't something. even have that on. I know, I'm saying you could if you wanted to. Get, I know, I just... You don't like people.
1: I don't like those systems. I don't like Facebook and I don't like Twitter and mm-hmm. I don't like Instagram and I don't like whatever else is out there. I don't like social media. Get off my lawn. <laughs>
0: it's but anyway, detrimental to so, society. So I guess this date is, is now upon us where by Twitter has disabled many of the, I guess, features that in their API that these, these third-party clients use. So yeah. streaming and notifications, all kinds of stuff just got yeah. turned off. And again, I really don't actually care that much because I'm at, I, mean, I might look at TweetBot a few times a week, not, not a day or an hour, a week. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I'll go weeks without even looking at Twitter. Because it just got to where... Actually, but know, these apps, ads. I mean... The,
1: uh, these, these apps have been fighting with Twitter on, on a lot of things for years, because before this issue, they, they were, the other issue was that they used to cap how many API calls they could make, and right. they had to, they, they were charged for those API calls. And, you know, that just made it impossible for some of these tools to even exist. Well,
0: and part of the point of that streaming API is you can just say, you can just start a... you can open up a socket or whatever, and, and then instead of having to make all kinds of polling calls, you just... Keep a socket open until um, there's, there's something new and that just streams down to you. It should be way mm-hmm. more efficient. It's weird that Twitter's turning that off. I mean, I think the reason they're doing it, is, and I haven't done any analysis on this or read people's analyses, but it's it's not because, at least, I don't think it's because Twitter's trying to, you know, get higher performance or it's an efficiency thing. I think it's really, they just, they really, if they had their brothers, they would just, I mean, all third-party clients would go away immediately. They don't. They have yeah, no that, use for them anymore. That's,
1: no, it, I, it's, it's been my understanding that they never had, never wanted to support a third-party application community. That The only reason the APIs existed was to support you using those tools to augment your application, like in marketing tools or things like
0: that. It was never meant to yeah. for someone to build a client and host and do their own thing. So I, I, I think I paid more attention to, to this when, when these things were happening at, throughout mm-hmm. Twitter's history. And I have a different take on it. I, I do believe that, because this is, Twitter did not have a, a, a um, basically any third party. They, they didn't have native clients. They didn't have a Mac client. They didn't have an iPhone client. So that's, and they had created APIs that enabled all those. And then later, of course, they bought, what did they buy? Tweet uh, Deck? TweetDe- no, not TweetDeck. That was one they didn't buy. Tweety or something? I don't know. Their, mm. their um, yeah, their Mac app they bought and rebranded. And then I think they built the, you know, like the the mobile apps. But once they had those, once they had native clients on all the major platforms, they wanted. That's when they started going. You know what? These, these third party clients now are just competing with our clients, mm-hmm. and so we would like to kill those. And so they've just slowly killed them. And I, that's probably fair because I think my
1: perspective comes from when they when they started making that change to, to the APIs. so They're limiting calls and charging and all that kind of stuff. That's when I started learning a little bit more about that, and it really seemed like they
0: just did not want third-party clients. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, let's do a Salesforce thing. Uh, this is just a little throwaway item, but someone was telling me that they were involved in a, um, or they had a client, I guess, that did one of these Salesforce. It's either the Accelerator or Ignite or something like that. I think, it, is it Accelerator? I think it's Accelerator. Okay. <clears throat> and And then I guess it was an org that had, you know, a significant amount of code or whatever and they had, you know, they were using sandbox and everything but um Salesforce just got in and did all their work in production. <laughs> right, in production.
1: Was it official
0: Salesforce or was it, yeah, no, it was the, Salesforce it was the, outsourced to someone oh, else? Oh, well, that I don't know. Like where they, you kind of put Salesforce's hat on and you pretend yeah. you're Salesforce. Yeah, I don't know if they, I've seen them do
1: that where they, they had these kind of yeah. programs and they had these offerings like, oh, if you'll buy this, you can get like, Thirty hours of Pardot implementation free or something like that. Well, and you, they're really outsourcing yeah. that to someone right. else to well, come you in with it. used to
0: You used to do a lot of that where they would their PS team would outsource to you, basically, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. That that was different than this though. This is more like the the little kind of incentive programs they try to get you to buy licenses. Right. I mean, that was just professional just professional services outsourcing to us, but we represented as
0: as best we could as sales. See, force. I don't know if they were Salesforce employees or if they were contractors or yeah. I'm not sure. um I saw a uh, every once in a while I'll I'll pop into the Salesforce subreddit you ever do you ever look at that nah there's interesting things on there every now and then but someone asked hey what are your experiences with scratch orgs Mm. and um I mean I I expect (laughs) it's kind of there's not a lot of recording in this sample here um Quite a bit of negative still around them. So here's, here's one person I spent a month trying to get them to work for our dev team and we ended up abandoning it as we have too many external integrations. It was too difficult to set up a scratch org development process because of configuration steps that had been, uh, taken, that had to be taken each time an org was set up, um, that, that just couldn't be automated, I guess. And then mm-hmm. someone says they had the same problem and they talked to Wade and, um, you know, he knew it was a known issue and it wouldn't work for complex orgs. Um, and then another person said, you know, they're avoiding it because of lack of certain metadata and how easy it is to lose work. They said they had three people that lost multiple days of work because scratch words were not working properly. Which, mm. yeah, I don't know what that means or how they lost it. But also, man, who goes three, what what developer nowadays goes three days or even three hours without, if not if not at least committing to your, I'm assuming you're using Git or whatever you're using. Yeah. But at least like, you know, one thing that it, I don't know if people realize, but if you use Git, um, even if you don't want to commit, at least you can. If you just as much as do a Git add and add things to your index, they are there. They're objects in in the database, and you might have to go spelunking through the the ref log or whatever, but you can find those. You, you know that data is it, the, that state of all your files is is captured mm-hmm. even without committing. Um, but if, you know, and if you don't want to, if you don't want to commit to your commits <laughs> then you can at least I mean yeah just um, uh, you know rebase before you push things up or, or get, get on and just make a I mean branches in Git are essentially free you know just do a quick branch or something but there's no excuse no developer should be going more than a couple hours without doing something that is, is that is creating a, a log so that if they lose something or you know or if they hose something up I mean I've done things before where i'll uh open like a big file or something and and do a a command a to select all or something like that and then not even realize it like i'll hit some other character and so it Mm -hmm. replaces the entire file with like one character or a space or something and not even know it yeah and next thing i know you know i've got a big code file had a bunch of code and it's now gone so i mean that kind of stuff happens it's gonna happen and or you know your scratch org eats it i don't even know if i necessarily believe that story or not but i mean let's
1: say it did i mean that's But we're assuming they lost code. I mean, it could have just been just losing time trying to get it to work, losing time
0: configuring it, losing time trying to get it to push. It says multiple, They few people lost multiple days of work. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess I was assuming they were, assuming they're losing their work, like, stuff they're creating. So, that's the kind of stuff that I feel like, I feel like you should... I mean, we're assuming that's what they're saying, though, because, I mean, it could be taken as, you know, just
1: working on the problem for three days, just trying to figure it out and get it to work and get the CI set up and... You know, it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean they lost code, but they just lost
0: some manpower. Yeah. Yeah, just it lost be. time. That could be. I feel like my headphones aren't working right. Um, yeah. And, and then he just says, you know, it's not, it's not ready to use yet. We're just sticking with sandboxes and gear set. I hear a lot of people using gear set. I like just see that name a lot. Yeah. Um, and somebody, some, someone says, yeah, yeah, we use them in our day to day. They're nice. They can make development really clean. Uh, one big gotcha is you need to make everything really decoupled. Uh, anyway, not just um, a lot of people that are, I think, having some some similar well, it's, it's kind of that I've I, that I, I've had. I kind of have this. So I, I think the whole TDX is that was that what we're calling it? The trailhead DX? No, the SFDX.
1: What is this whole thing? The sales the DX? DX. DX. Yeah. Um, there's no T in front. of me, It's just DX. I, I th- it's such a new thing and it's such an edge thing that, and. I don't know how I feel about it because I feel like I'm getting left behind because I'm not doing it. But then I hear stories of how it's not ready and then, I, and then I'm also like, well, my clients aren't that sophisticated. They don't need this. You know, I'm not, I'm not building big enterprise, fully fledged out applications with roadmaps and things where I can plan for things and have a, a, a CI that's, that has ROI. Yeah. You know, if I'm just augmenting Salesforce functionality with triggers and a few custom UIs, right? do I need to set up a whole... DX
0: environment? I would say no, because you don't have the kind of problems that people that do, that are doing like these big enterprise things, they have. I mean, the, yeah. you have, like the, the orgs I worked on in the past that I used to talk about, um, they were big and they had all these problems. You had massive dependency problems and if you, you know, if you didn't, if you don't understand your dependencies and everything really well and, and designed for them, you know, you just, you end up all hosed up and and then, of course, you know, Refactoring and renames and reconfigurations and things like that. Just up, you know, trying to find some way to solve all those things. Yeah, and if you don't have those problems, you shouldn't try to solve them. You know, just keep it simple. I mean, you can you can basically do p- little piecemeal deployments every time you deploy. It's no big deal. You you know, you can look at Git and see what changed. You mm-hmm. know, and just do a whatever Git uh, dash dash name only or names only, I think, just shows you you know, show you all the files that or you can do a you know a Get log and specify a range or whatever, and then do names only. Yeah. It just, it just let you a list of file names that change. Well, that's what you need to deploy. You know. Yeah. Well, that's assuming everything's in there. <clears throat> that's true. I mean, at least, at least, I mean, assuming like you've at least got your source code locally to yeah. you. Now, <clears throat> configuration stuff or whatever. That's maybe you can do change tests for that. Again, if it's small and simple, then that. I mean, that's it's just, I, it's I think it's appropriate.
1: I think from that's pretty much what I do. It's just from my perspective, it just feels like you know, I'm a little bit behind the curve because I don't have anyone who needs this just yet. So I haven't really invested the time and effort to really learn it because it's constantly changing. And it's just, you know, I may know something about it today, but tomorrow that could be wrong.
0: Yeah. It, it seems like to me it's, it's, you know, it's a, I would say less than 50% of developers that are using it. Uh, I'd probably put it at like 10%. 10%, yeah. I mean, I'm not totally guessing, I don't know. I, yeah, and it's I do no, know. No, maybe it's just a bigger problem than what I think it is, or harder to solve. I mean, I, I you know, it, it seems like, you know, what, I guess it was was it, it was Wade that kind of started this initiative or was hired for it, you know. And he, I, I mean, I, I imagine that you just kind of look around. And you're like, okay, this is these are all the problems that we have, and my mission is to make developer experience better. Like, where do I even start? I mean, what can I start chipping away at mm-hmm. that is not like because any kind of boil the ocean thing is forget it yeah you know being able to run you know again drop a jar in forget it i mean that's not maybe that's another project that long term that people are looking at And I, th- I actually think that people are always looking at that type of thing um <clears throat> that was not wade's mission and that was not um i don't think that would have been he wouldn't he would have not been able to show any progress i mean, it would just it's too big so i I feel like a lot, of, and not to say that they haven't done some interesting things, but I feel like he's just had to chip away at it incrementally. And I feel like, yeah. I feel like you know, the, the CLI in general, scratch orgs, I mean, it's it's not really revolutionary. I mean, it's you still end up with just a bunch of metadata that you have to somehow get back into your production org. Right. And there's, you know, you hit all those fundamental problems. But I mean, it's just like, but while you are, you know, dealing with your source code and working in sandboxes slash or maybe scratch orgs are a slightly better version of, of sandboxes because they've got that you know little history tracking API whatever you know just things like that that if they can make the experience better I mean that's what this is it's developer experience then then that's what they've been doing and it, it makes sense I just you know and of course they have the whole packaging problem which a lot of that's out of completely out of I think Wade's control you know you're dependent on other departments and other teams with with probably not the same priorities as you and mm-hmm. and of course they've got all their own I mean again Salesforce is, uh, it's just, it's, it's legacy. I mean, Salesforce is a giant legacy app, and they're just having to deal with the fact that they've got tens of thousands of customers all in this thing, and you can't just, it's got to be all forwards compatible. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the challenge. Um, so, I, th- I mean, I think we need to, I think, I guess, my takeaway is that guys like you and me, we just need to, you know, try to, try to kind of keep abreast of, like, what's happening so that when we, when it does seem like it's time for us to jump into that you know, game of uh, double Dutch jump rope, <laughs> then we, you know, we can because, yeah. but you know, jump in and if it's, if it looks good, if it feels good, or if it's working out for you, use it. If not, jump back out and wait and wait another release or so and try again. Cause I mean, they're always, they always seem to be adding stuff and making things better about it. Yeah. And at some point it'll be, you know, I think it, I think people, it, it, it will start making sense for more and more people to, yeah. to join on it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making stuff up. That's what it seems to Sounds be. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, this uh, Border Patrol thing is not going away. Did you know that? I saw that
1: someone posted like a whole website dedicated to um, protesting Benioff and even people who are attending Dreamforce and the speakers well, attending Dreamforce God. and people of the board attending.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just... They, they, they painted their targets. Yeah, I mean, so you got Greenpeace, which is a pretty big organization, the Environmental... Mm-hmm. Uh, Demand progress, New York State Nurses Association, and fight for the future. An advocacy group. That's probably the one that was. I think they're the ones that are coordinated all that. So anyway, is is Apple getting this
1: kind of kind of uh, protests? Is
0: Google getting protested? I know Microsoft was. I don't know. I don't know. If I do Squashed that. But yeah. I mean, what? You're not allowed to sell iPhones to the Border Patrol or something. I don't know. I mean, I don't think they. I don't think Apple even controls that. So, I think the. I mean, I think one reason why Salesforce is maybe being targeted for this is because they probably have direct contracts with the yeah, government. I mean, um,
1: my, it started with Microsoft, did it? Yeah, well, now, that was the first instance. and then shortly yeah. after that, it, you know, it came on. They came knocking on Salesforce's yeah. door. Okay, and maybe it's just because we're plugged into the Salesforce news that we're hearing about it, and maybe Microsoft is still having issues with it, but I. I just I keep yeah. hearing about Salesforce more than I
0: hear anybody. No, you're anybody right else. about the speakers. It says they're going to target Al Gore, uh, Will I Am. Does he matter? Oh, that's that's so weird. Why would you target him? <laughs> uh, and Unilever, Unilever CIO and oh, an Entourage actor, Adrian Grenier. <laughs> oh, they're asking them to drop out. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. I mean, if Adrian Grenier is not going to be there, then I'm, I'm not going. Did <laughs> the deals <laughs> off? <laughs>
1: uh, I'm reminded of that time that um, I guess Benioff was having like one of those fireside camps, and I, I guess I guess the reports that came back from that was that it got very political, and like no one could ask any other questions related to Salesforce because it was so focused on these on this political topic. Hmm. But I'm wondering if is that what's going to happen with this Dreamforce? Is that it's going to get so kind of um, distracted by the politics of the situation that people aren't going to get to experience and talk about Salesforce? Maybe so. I don't. I'm, I don't ever remember seeing anything like that happen at Dreamforce or Trailhead DX. Yeah, it was. It had something to do with, like, um, they wanted Benioff to say all lives matter or something like that. It was, like, some kind of something along those lines. I don't remember.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think it was, like, one of those fireside chat things where you could ask Benioff and Parker about the platform and the future of the platform and other questions. And then it just, like, it was dominated by that. Hopefully
0: he told him just to go away because he's not... No, he's not going to succumb to bullies to tell you know turn him into a puppet and just tell him what to say, pull his string, and listen to him say what whatever they want him to say. Yeah, because that sets a that sets a bad precedent. Is the problem with that?
1: I don't. I just. I guess. I guess that's the danger of you know being so dominant and prevalent in in politics, especially social social politics, is that um if things if you happen to have the wrong viewpoint, you know it, it,
0: it can backfire on you. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I was thinking because of that topic we had last week where we were um, talking about all the, the certification stuff, and then mm-hmm. I was talking in Slack about how we sometimes I feel like we kind of avoid those uh, getting to consult, you know, too much in the, the areas of consulting because a lot of people that that listen to the show don't—they're not in consulting—and that kind of probably bores the crap out of them. <laughs> but I did think, well, that maybe we should have like a little consulting segment. That's just a small part of the show that we can do, like. Once a week or whenever. Okay. Anyway, but I have a topic for this for this week's inaugural uh edition of the consulting segment. (laughs) Which is when clients force you to use their staff on the on a project. Oh yeah. John Santiago, what is your position on this topic? (laughs) You go first. It sucks. It sucks. Because so much it, of it is out of my control. Yeah. Uh, the
1: best I can offer, and it, it's pretty much what I say, is like, okay, well, I can be here when you have questions, but...
0: No, no, you have to, like, say, let's say you have to build stuff, but they want you to work with the clients making you work with their... Oh. Like, they're also, like, um, maybe you're going to do the coding and they're going to do the, um, all the meta, de- like the, I don't know, something else, all the all the workflow and process builders, and you're going to do all the, the lightning and Apex and stuff, and it's just... <laughs> <laughs> so I've dealt with that... It's happened to me a few times. Has Late, it ever worked out well?
1: No. Okay. But lately, it's, it's kind of like shown up at my doorstep, but then got taken away because the client was too busy. Like, they started out the project saying, Oh, we're going to have someone shadow you because we want them to, to we want all this real time knowledge transfer. We want them learning what you're doing so that they can take it over, that type of thing. But then the project just, because of timeline and scope and everything, it's happening so fast that that just gets kind of pushed to the side. And I end up getting to do what I need to do. But in the past I have had to work really closely with people and it's sometimes it's okay sometimes mm. it's it it feels like a mentorship type situation where um I'm especially if it's local because if I can sit next to them and we can work together it's it's not that bad as long as they have a certain amount of skill and can understand it mm. but if I feel like I'm having to show them what a variable is and how to use that then that's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. I think it's uh, for me it's it's Okay, let me just say that this, I feel like this usually does not work out well, and it's, and it's not a good idea. Um, but there is there is a fine line, because to some degree, you have obviously, you have to work with people. At the, I mean, you've got to, you know, pe- there people from the client side have to participate in, in certain ways. But when it comes to actually, like, being responsible for deliverables and, and building things, I mean, it can get really complicated, because, I mean, I always, you know, you know my philosophy anyway, I mean, you're... I mean hiring is extremely hard. Why? Because there's so many people out there that just are not what you're looking for. And you have to like, yeah. wade through so many so many resumes and so many people to find like the ones that are actually the right fit for the job. Well what are the odds that like the, the couple of people that, that the client has laying around that aren't already occupied on other projects for some reason that they're putting <laughs> on this? I mean what are the odds that they're the type of people you'd want to work with that, that are appropriate for that job? I mean yeah that, that's that's it, kind of what's
1: happened is it's usually someone who's who's in some kind of developer role or support role who's was either responsible for the system that we're replacing or just happens to be available, got nothing else to do, and like oh well, let's put them on this yeah you know
0: and it's like that's why I'm, I was saying it's you know I think it's more subtle than like oh, they can't even declare a variable i mean the the, the things I'm worried about are people that like you know they, they've been a developer for fifteen years, and you know you give them a task and they go off and they come back with a you know, an eight-page method. They come back with an eight-page method or something like that that's, you know, untestable, uncomprehendable, you know, has problems that, you know what I mean? Just that kind of stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, where do I even start with you? I mean, I don't have time for all this. Yeah. I guess it
1: depends on the situation. I mean, the the few times where it has kind of worked out, it didn't, it didn't blow up in my face. Was it, it felt like more like I was just mentoring them. I was kind of showing them the ropes. They had some skills in development. They just need to understand how to develop on Salesforce, like work within the limits and things to avoid and things like that. And they did all right. I mean, the code wasn't, wasn't a masterpiece, but it, it worked and it was <clears throat> functional and it'll get them through.
0: Where, where, where I
1: have the I, bigger I have, issue.
0: And what you just said, it'll get them through. Like I just have such higher standards. And I know, I know you do too. So I know this bothers you. But I have such higher standards than yeah. But there's only so much I can do. So, I can't. <sighs> I know. I guess I'm just. I'm not saying you can. I'm not saying you you right now in your job, your role. I'm not saying you do have control over it because I don't. I don't either. A lot of times. Yeah. I'm just. I don't know. It's like what. Well, I mean, the other side of, side of it is, you know, I don't want to be
1: the one, the guy that gets this guy fired. I don't want to be the one that, that says, nope, this guy sucks. Get rid of him because he's making these things, things worse. I mean, I don't want to affect someone's livelihood that way. I'm I'm doing my best to work with what I've been given. Yeah. And I'm doing my best yeah. to try to. Help them get to where they need to be. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I leave the project going, it's not going to work out. He's, yeah. he's going to keep making these mistakes, but I just, I'd leave it at that. I yeah. leave him in the best position that I can and try to move on. Yeah. I, I, I don't try to get too involved in,
0: you know, whether or not this person's right for the job or not. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it's particularly bad in the Salesforce space because Salesforce does so much of this recruiting people that aren't, that have no background in, in software engineering recruiting them into being you know salesforce developers and yeah you're dealing with this i mean it's 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 a different group you know it's it's not um it's not like back in the day if 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 a client hired you to help develop a device driver i mean their programmers they put on that are going to be like oh yeah you know like they're they're gonna they're gonna be like electrical engineers and stuff um Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah it's a different group but I I think you know I mean I think you just have to have a policy like that's the best way to avoid it is just you know like it just says policy we don't we don't do that because we don't and you can give reasons like we don't you know we don't we didn't get to pick the team we don't get to hire them we don't get to fire them they don't report to us you know where our hands are kind of tied we can't re- we really can't make the right kind of de- you know dis- ongoing des- decisions on the project about who's working on what and what we can do about things you know because I mean, you always got to make adjustments you know? yeah. It's just, it's just so awkward too. It's so awkward. That's the other, the other part of it. Well, and that's kind of what happens. I mean, you don't want to get someone fired, but also it's like, do you say something or not? Like, I mean, (laughs) I mean, I I remember um, I gave someone a task and they came back. It was, it was, it was fairly big. They came back with two, it was, I think it was two classes. One of them was called class one and the other was called class two. And each of them had one method called like, I think it was called like method or something. It was like some or maybe it was like funk one and funk two. Each of them mm-hmm. had one, and they were just these giant, and I don't even know how they chose two. How'd you chose, how'd you choose two classes? I mean, I, if I would written that, it would have been like you know, 35 classes, <laughs> um, but they just jammed it all into two. Some i for, I don't know why they picked two. Maybe that's, maybe they had- Cause dual, they hit the size limit. They had, dual they, mon, had... they had dual monitors. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> so just one, one class per screen. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it, I don't know. I just, I always want to avoid those situations because they're, once you're in them, it's hard to get out. Anyway, all right. Well, that was our consulting segment of the day. <laughs> well, uh, well, John, what do, you, what do you have on your plate for this week? I have a community topic we can talk about. Are you talking about my Is work? this the integration load? one? Yeah. Okay. We you can want? save that if you want. No, that's good. Yeah, go ahead. Do you have it up? Yeah. Okay. Then read it. Don't stare at me. I don't know what you're doing. This is, a, this is an audio show. People can't see you staring at me awkwardly. Uh, Although just, I can see it.
1: <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not firing at all cells today for some reason. Uh, so this one's from uh, Richard Cook. Uh, he says we can use his name. Oh, by the way, um, if, if, if it's okay to use your name and you prefer to call you something specific, l- just let me know and right. I'll do that. Yeah. Um, like if you just want me to use your first name or you just want me to call you Bub or oh, something. Yeah, if
0: you don't go by your first name, you go by something else. Yeah, you
1: know? yeah. yeah just let me know. Um, so this one is about our discussion on uh, integrations. So he says, I have some questions for Jeremy. So these are for you. Uh, and Smito, <laughs> <laughs> uh you talked about the integration work that you do. Um, so he's got a list of questions. I, I'll go, uh, I don't know, should I read all the questions and then let you respond or should I do one by one? There's about... Let's do one by one, I guess. All right. Um, so the first question is, what are your go-to technology stacks for integrations?
0: Um... Or I would say for most of them, I don't know what percentage that, I, that I've done. And I, by the way, I went a, a long time without doing integrations because I just hated them. Mm-hmm. I've gotten more interested in them, though, actually. Um, part of it was because I, I kind of got roped into doing an integration and I just wrote a, actually wrote a simple little integration program in Java. And you could give it a, um, basically like real simple field, like field maps. Mm-hmm. And it would map from I think it was with CSV or I can't remember what it to into Salesforce and, and, and vice versa. But you could give it real simple field maps. It would just copy the value from like CSV field into the Salesforce field, right? And vice versa. And that was fine. They were happy with that. I mean, it was, it was simple, and, you know, it was fast and a thousand times cheaper, a million times cheaper, infinitely cheaper than like the <laughs> mule softs of the world. And that was just that, you know, any of those things would have been so overkill for this little thing I did. But I kind of had fun doing it. Um, because I, you know, I, I I wrote it to suck in this little, and you you defined it. Uh, I think it was in like uh, I can't remember if that was Groovy or JavaScript. You defined um, th- those maps in, and I you know like the syntax. It was it was real simple and simple for the client to like being non technical, but they could even uh, maintain it. You know, yeah. And so I I um I kind of integrate uh, opportunities to to do other integrations. So I rethought that whole thing, and over the past couple of years, I've built out this and I. I think I've talked about that. I don't know I've talked to you about it, but mm-hmm. it's um it's it's a it's a similar thing. It's um it's I, this one's built mainly in Kotlin actually. Same same tech stack though in general, but um it uh it's a it's a really it's, it's a messaging oriented integration know, platform product. I don't know what the right word is. Engine. All these mm-hmm. words are kind of meaningless if you ask me. Um and uh it's it's much more modeled on like the enterprise integration patterns so there's it's, it's all message oriented um there's all the t- typical um like message processing things you'd expect to find so like uh, splitters and and um, message enrichers and and like logic gates and mm-hmm. uh there's um there's scatter gather there's there's all these little the tools that you need on if you're doing like message based integration i guess And you, um, the way you configure it, or the way you build an integration with it, is um, it's all Groovy, Groovy script. Technically, actually, Um, I picked Groovy just because it's really easy to integrate on in Java apps. And Groovy is pretty expressive, Mm -hmm. and you can build. um, I guess most importantly, you can build fluent APIs pretty well with Groovy. So, when you look at like you know, if you look at one of these configurations for an integration, I mean, it reads like almost like English. Um, because it's you know I designed it as a fluent API and with because it's a group, you don't have to have all this you know syntax garbage that a lot of languages you know make you have, um, but it's yeah it's real it's easy to read easy to configure um, I like I like code based configuration better than I do GUI based ones anyway in fact I mean if you've ever looked at MuleSoft I mean they've got I mean I think people mainly use like their their Eclipse based God help us uh, mm-hmm. thing but it, it just it's oh my God it's it's so crusty and. You know, and Alt all is an interface to an XML file anyway that you've got to, you've, and you've always got to go, in, if you've ever done MuleSide, you've always got to go into that XML file and fix stuff, edit stuff, whatever. So it's not, it's like the leaky subtraction ever. You might as well just write the XML file directly, right? All Except right. what if it was, instead of XML, it was something awesome like Groovy or even JavaScript or something like some language that's makes, that's nice to write, you know. All right. Easy to read, doesn't require a bunch of angle brackets and crap semicolons everywhere. That kind of thing. And so, yeah, so you can, I mean, you can define, you know, your, all your da- data sources and your, your transformations and all your little message, you know, lay add all the message handling components and everything. It's, it's, it reads very cleanly. Um, and it's, you know, currently it supports like, I mean, JDBC is almost any database. Um, Salesforce, flat files of all sorts, XML, JSON. Um, it can listen on http so if you if you want to do outbound messages or um, platform events all these types of things you Mm -hmm. know it supports all that kind of stuff but it's also not doesn't have near as broad of a scope as something like mealsoft does which is which tries to be like this big you know soa thing has its own cloud-based platform you can deploy them to all that like this is and and also and also you know it Mule, MuleSoft supports tons of they, have a, they call them, I think they call them connectors. Tons of connectors, like to all kinds of systems I've never even heard of before. So you know, obviously, this thing I built doesn't do that. Um, but for for these types of integrations that I always get asked to do, like it supports all those things really well. And it, you know, and also it supports. I mean, you can define like transaction semantics, so you can be like, hey, I want this whole group of things to either like succeed or fail. Mm-hmm. And of course, that has to be it has to be a, a data sources that support transactions, but if they do, you can do that. Um, it's got error handling semantics that are similar like you can have, you know, you, your error handling can be really granular, you can you can make it a, 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 like an error scope that if anything, you know, across the scope happens or whatever. So it's, it's, it's actually pretty powerful in, in those terms. Um, and as long as, you know, what you're doing is like Salesforce or databases or CSV or FTP or HTTP, all that kind of stuff, then it's, it's great. And it's uh, very cheap compared to <laughs> all these other things. That's some of the things that people like about it. And it's, and it's very, I mean, at the end, you know, the client gets this nice configuration file and they can, they can edit it, they can add things to it. You know, it kind of, it's fairly maintainable with whatever they want to do. So I've been doing those a lot. Um, I don't have really a go-to commercial platform. If I did, I would probably, I'd probably look at, I mean, I've done some Mule stuff. Mm-hmm. Relatively recently, so I'd probably that's probably I'd probably I probably know more about that one than I do any of the other ones at this point. I've done Informatica before, did not like it. I like I actually do like Mule way better than Informatica. Now, I haven't seen Informatica in several years now, so yeah. And and their cloud thing at the time was, I think, really basic. So I'm sure it's much better now. But from the things I've seen recently, I, you know, Mule be fine. And obviously, you know, now because Salesforce happens to own a majority of MuleSoft shares or whatever, you know, that's, that's, that's the go-to. That's one you got to use. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Just like Heroku is the, is the hosting company you got to use. You got to use just because.
1: <laughs> Alright, well, next question. Um, are your integrations to or from Salesforce? And I would pre- I, since you kind of talked about that, I, I think to expand on that question, what is your preference? Do you prefer to pull from Salesforce or do you prefer to push out of Salesforce? integrations where you have
0: that. Oh, okay. I hear hear what you're saying. Well, it depends. Um, If there's not, if it's, if if I can fit within limits, I do like the, um, I've used uh, platform events, but what's the, um, have you seen this data change API? No. I've been looking at it, but it's still, I think it's still under preview. Is why I haven't really used it. And it's one of those things like they can, it's still, Salesforce still reserves the rights to just, Kill the thing altogether right so Mm -hmm. i I haven't used it but it's i believe it's built on platform events and you can just basically just say hey uh if if any changes happen in these objects and it's most standard objects are supported and i think all custom objects then you know here's a url just like queue those things up and it uses like the same kind of queuing and um like message queuing Mm -hmm. you know system that platform events uses so it, as the changes happen, it queues them up and it fires them. And if they, you know, it'll keep trying until they're successful type of thing. Um, if you need, well, first of all, I mean, if, you, if you've got uh, high churn data high or high, uh, co- um, not contingency, what's the word? Um, high volume? My, my brain's not working. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if things are changing fast, if there's, um, uh, words are not working well with me, uh, then the more real time, the better. Right. And if you if you're polling, then you probably can't pull constantly. You know, you've got to have like an interval. Right. And if you know, if you're going bi-directional and if both systems, you know, have quite a bit of churn, then yeah, I mean, as real time as possible is good. And that, that gets actually really difficult and like kind of you know, what happens if the same record changes in both systems? Right. Before a sync can happen or whatever. Um, or what if and what if you are doing like event based integration and like one system fires the message off. It, record A got changed and the other system fires a message off because record A on, on its side got changed but they just cross each other like do you try to detect these I mean this is a this is an asynchronous system uh-huh. at this point and you really I mean, it becomes very difficult if if not impossible to detect you know when high frequency um, like race conditions like that can happen yeah and a lot of times it's like hey if 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 it, if, if two changes happen that close to each other on the same exact record then first of all like watch out because you might see pigs flying or something but but also it's like it's not that big of a deal i mean it just it depends on how you know is this you know is just this, this like crm data or is this you know someone's going to die if the data doesn't stay correct or whatever or perfectly correct
1: yeah and i usually just try to find you know which system is is the most is considered the most priority you know is it data coming from your users the data coming from your internal users or external users versus internal
0: <clears throat> but a lot of times I do I d- actually do prefer polling um, and, and again it depends on limits how many things I mean like the pro- one problem I have had with platform events is you can only d- you can only subscribe to fifty mm-hmm. and sometimes I need actually more than that and so
1: it depends because on- a, an event is a, is a very specific criteria associated to it right it's it's very granular
0: yeah and what's there's another so, I mean, could, it, could,
1: could you set up a, an event system that said any change on this account? Or are you looking for very specific changes So the to way I've done fields? it before
0: is, is um, I'll set up a platform event type, I think that's the way I've done this, for, for, each, ob- for each object type. So, so account would have a, an event type, contact would have an event type, you know, whatever. And I think you only have 50 of those. And so that's why, that's just a limit to keep in mind. Of course, with, yeah. you know, if you're polling, you know, if you're polling a lot of things, you know, if you're doing, if you have to do 75 queries every time you pull, you know, you got to start looking at, you know, what your API limits look like. Right. But sometimes polling it make, is simpler and makes more sense. I mean, the problem, one problem with, one challenge, I guess, with just message-based integration in general is that, you know, messages can come in out of order. Yeah. And so what if, what if someone creates an account and a contact in one, integra- in one transaction and the contact message gets to you before the account message does, yeah, right. You got a problem there, and so unless you want to build that kind of logic and you know intelligence, I guess, into your integration, that to oh, you you're a contact and you're referencing an account that doesn't exist. Let me put you in a temporary uh, other queue, and I'll and they will when they will repoll that queue every. It's like I mean, how complicated do you want to get here? I mean, yeah, you want to avoid. I mean, you really. I mean that's. Uh, almost with any system, but I would say especially for integrations, like you really want to keep things as simple as possible, but while still meeting the functional and non-functional requirements of, you know, of the problem. So, so along those lines, I mean, what do you do about?
1: So sometimes an integration kind of lends itself well to a migration, meaning the same processes that to handle the integration can technically handle the the first time migration of data. Uh, but when you talk about messaging services and like that, it seems like it, it prevents you from being able to do that, use that system as a, as to kind of seed everything.
0: Sorry, I was distracted for a second. Can you repeat that? <laughs> I just realized that we don't have any beer. I thought that was intentional because you got to run. No. Oh. Anyway, ask your question again. <laughs> I'll go get some beer in a minute.
1: Uh, I don't know. It's fine. you got to run. Okay. I'm good. All right. We're good.
0: Well, ask the question again.
1: You distracted me. Huh? So... so um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so a lot distracted. of, a, a lot of t- yeah, but then you distracted me. Okay. Um, so a lot of times with, with some of the integrations I build, they tend because of the way they're built and because of you know the data that it that it that it's syncing between the systems, and because of the way we've designed fault handling and everything to build to reprocess data and push it through, it lends itself well to seed the data, to basically use it as a migration tool as oh, well. Oh, okay, right. And so I guess my question is, do you do that? And then B, when, it, when you talk about all these kind of services that use platform events, does that prevent you from using the tool in that way? Do you, can you still kind of seed the data or kind of do it, use it as a migration tool for that first run?
0: Um, so if, if I was using platform events for that, I guess the, what I would do is, is have, probably write some little tool that generated whatever... Instead of the platform events coming like from directly from actual platform events, mm-hmm. like I would create something that just creates the same type of message, and, and sends it sends out to the integration, or like maybe somehow backload like if there's a backdoor into like the message queue of the integration system, because mm-hmm. again, if you're if you are doing pla- something like platform events, and which is a kind like of message, kind of like a message type of yeah system your integration should probably also have like, a, like some kind of like message broker embedded into it or it's or that or a separate message brokering service that it uses that those messages should go into because part of the benefit of of like message based systems is that you have these message brokers that are that are generally going to be much more reliable and like durable and able to withstand like resets and restarts mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff than your applic- then your integration application is going to right <clears throat> and so you want it to be responsible really about like receiving the messages and queuing them up and then your integration program can, say, can subscribe and say, okay, hey, start giving me messages. And then you know, if your integration program, let's say it's got to be restarted or whatever, you know, whenever it connects back up to the message broker, it can just say, okay, you know, keep giving me. Like, you, know, you, can, you can let the message broker be responsible for keeping track of messages, keeping them in order and all that stuff. Um, so in that case, if you're doing that, then you could just side door into the message broker and just fill it with whatever messages are needed for the integration program, and then, then start pulling stuff down from Salesforce. Um, but let me back up and say, I, I do something, especially if I know that the integration program needs the ability to either do like the initial full population of data mm-hmm. from one system to another, or if I know that sometimes um, it's, it's a possibility that you might want to just like clear out one of the databases. Now, obviously, probably not on the Salesforce side, because that's hard, but maybe the other one of the other systems you're integrating to like. You know that it, it might just become necessary at some point to start over, like clear its database or whatever. Right. So you just to be it needs to be a, a a feature of the integration to be able to s- start from zero, right? And right. and repopulate a system. I mean, it gets a little tricky because as that repopulation is happening, that's gonna take a while. It could take a while if you have a lot of data in Salesforce, for example, right? Yeah. And in the meantime, you could have Salesforce could be firing you have more platform events. Yeah. Now, as long as you've set set up like your your channel or whatever kind of messaging message queuing technology you're using to do like a I guess a FIFO or keep them in order, you're you're okay. I mean, once it finally gets to those those new platform events and gets through all the initial population, then it'll just process them in order. and You'll be good. But integration, I mean, you can you know you can try to use all the best you know message handling technology and asynchronous this and and whatever um, and, and try to handle. Um, highly concurrent things in smart ways and have the right error handling and transactional and all this kind of stuff. And, and, it, and it's still, they're still fraught with problems. Integration is, integration is hard. And it's, that's that, I mean, that's why I think, you no know, one reason why MuleSoft kind of became what it is and why Salesforce bought them. It's just like, it's a big expensive problem that's not going away. Which yeah. another reason why I'm kind of getting back into integration because it's a big expensive problem and I need big expensive problems to work on. <laughs> you know, I need things that are hard and that are important to, and, that, and that are valuable. Yeah. I think one of the things that irritated me about integrations back in the day was a. Uh, I, I, I don't know if to talked about this, but people just like were viewing them as like this, this non really important, non value. You can just like anyone, you know, just, oh, it's no big deal. Anyone can, you know, let's let's offshore that or outsource it or get just find someone cheap or whatever. It's like, man, this, this is way more important than what you realize. And there's. <laughs> But the quality level is massively varying uh, uh, you know amongst of what the, the integration you're going to get, depending on who builds it for you. Yeah, so well, I think a lot of that
1: is because when we first started getting into building integrations, at least from my perspective, we were integra- we were integrating with a lot of homegrown systems or a lot of just company database systems, and we were and they were so used to just doing whatever they wanted with those databases and moving data every which way, securely, insecurely. Little applets here and there, pushing and pulling data. So they they just really didn't see the value in that. And I think now the change is that so many companies have so many different systems, cloud-based systems, on-premise systems that they're starting to see the need for something more sophisticated. They're starting to understand the the problem of integration. Whereas before it was just oh, just copy data from one database to another. Why can't you do that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can. That
1: that was the other thing was educating people on integrating with Salesforce at the time because they were so used to on-premise data replication where things have millions of records happen in a second and we're telling them that's going to take
0: an hour or a day right yeah <laughs> um yeah and i mean and, and for some things i mean like the uh, what's it called nowadays ssis that microsoft has integration services yeah, i mean those like are that, yeah. that's for a lot of integrations that's perfectly fine to use things like that you know it's obviously built on a pretty solid stack and
1: yeah, and there's there's like plugins to it and things like that. Right. Get you, Salesforce connectivity and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, um. So other questions because you kind of already got into this. Uh, I'm gonna read both of these at the same time. Uh, actually, no, there one. Yeah. Has there been more interest from clients for MuleSoft since the Salesforce acquisition? And what is your opinion of, of MuleSoft for integrations?
0: I don't know if I, I don't know if there's been enough time for me to see more about MuleSoft. I mean, Mule was already the most popular solution in the Salesforce space because uh-huh. of all the joint. Marketing that Salesforce and Mule were doing. Yeah. Um, so
1: it's certainly on the lips of the salespeople when, when they talk to, to yep. clients. And it, it's. And it has
0: been that way for a couple it, of it,
1: years. It, it's kind of happening the way, kind of the way I said it would happen, which is it's going to be now part of the pitch. And so people are now going to be going, oh, I need data integration. Yeah. What yeah. else is out there? And the conversation has started. Um, so I've already had clients ask me. Not only about MuleSoft, but they've they've gone out and found others and they wanted to understand what the differences
0: are and things like that, which, you know, I I can I can only do my best. But that's I feel like that kind of goes back to our conversation last week and 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 this part part of the thing that Matt was talking about was that you're you're not gonna find someone who at least I doubt it, who's like a, you know, a sales a salesforce, a true Salesforce expert and like a true Oracle expert, or a true MuleSoft expert and a true informatica expert. Like you gotta go deep in something. You can't go deep in a lot of things. So I mean, you could find someone who's an expert in each one of those, but not someone that's an expert in all of those. Right, exactly. That's what I meant. Sorry, if I wasn't clear. And so at some point, you know, the clients just got to do their own due diligence and and make a decision of which path they're going to go. And then you try to find, you know, the the best person you can for that that thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, there's obviously going to be a lot more talk of MuleSoft in the Salesforce space now. And Mm. it's going to be the go-to thing that people are asking about.
1: Yeah. So do you have an opinion on it?
0: Um, As I, a tool, so I think it's it's good. Over, I will say overall, it's good. It's certainly capable. It can handle. It's real. It's also a. In fact, I mean, I'd be lying if I if I didn't say that a lot of the ideas that I had for the thing that I've been building didn't come from systems like MuleSoft, also Apache Camel, and just the enterprise integration patterns in general. Which is, and I. I a lot of people know this. I'm talking about integration integration patterns. I'm actually referring specifically to like the book, and mm-hmm. I think I can't remember who. I don't, I don't remember who the authors are, but there's only one. And everybody knows EIP. I mean, any time people talk about, it, that's what they're talking about. And and those were they didn't invent all these patterns. They were these were basically kind of existing known. but They just they kind of codified them and said like here's like and they cataloged them and kind of organized them and described them. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's what's what's great about that. By the way, just kind of tangent is that it gives vocabulary to these ideas to these concepts right so like when i say a scatter gather like if we both know what that means then i don't have to dis- i don't have to say hey i want to do that thing where let's you take let's say you take a message and then you split it you need to split it up because three different systems need to get that message but then you got to wait until all you get the answers back from all those three different systems so the next thing can then pro- can process those three responses at the same time Like, it's much easier for me to say scatter-gather than try to explain that to you, which I probably didn't do a good job of explaining. It's just like software design patterns and stuff. Like, if you know what a singleton is, then when we can just have conversations about, oh, let's do a, should we do a singleton or should that be a direct, so some other, you know, like a whatever, dependency injection or something, you know, like, how do we get dependencies into things? Or, what you know, like, we can just have conversations without having, without them having to be so elementary. Which is why words matter. Words do matter. Concepts matter. (laughs) um and so that's that's one thing that attracted me just the kind of message based integrations in general, and plus i mean I've been sold on messaging for gosh i don't know ten years or so I started doing like j m s stuff ten or fifteen years ago um Messaging world's changed a little bit since then, but it's the concepts are the same and the and the you know the 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 published and subscribed concepts and um and just having queues and mm-hmm. the different properties of queues, the ways you can set them up and it's all there's, there's so many so much benefit to it uh and, I just think it's a good way to, to do it. So anyway, yeah, Mule, I mean, Mule's kind of um, me- messaging base. I like that. It's, it's really flexible. I mean, obviously, I don't like the, I don't care for their, I mean, I use it, but I don't like their gooey thing. I, I much prefer, because I know he also asked about Ballerina, right? Mm-hmm. I much prefer something like that. I mean, I'm, and I, of course, I'm a, I'm a programmer, so take that with a, with a grain of salt. Yeah. But I mean, I'd much rather, and I'd much rather sit down with my groovy script. Or ballerina, then deal with mules. Horrible UI. It's got so many bugs. I mean, and every once in a while, like they'll come out with a new version of the the mule thing, their Eclipse plugin, whatever the hell it's called, AnyPoint, the AnyPoint Studio, and it'll there'll be some bug with it and the current version of the J- JVM. So you've got to like you got to set it back to some previous version. It's just it's just such a. It's cluster. also
1: it's also an application suite, so you have to be careful about what you install. Like <laughs> I had to make sure I only installed the what is it, like the data. Data integrated You got to opt out of the
0: browser toolbar. You got to opt out of a bunch of
1: other tools because I'm like, <laughs> I just want the editor. Don't give me all this other service, yeah, local service, right. server running. And I'm like, because it just didn't work. Yeah.
0: Um, but no, like I said, it's totally capable. I mean, it's expensive. You know, it's really expensive. But I mean, any of those big solutions are going to be expensive. And you know, the thing is, I mean, if you if you have a company enterprise wide problem that. You know, Because you, it's a big decision to, to decide to invest in something like MuleSoft. Yeah. I mean, this is a cross-departmental, this is an enterprise-wide type of thing mm-hmm. where, that you decide to standardize on something like. Because, I mean, MuleSoft, it changes the way that you think of APIs, the way you build APIs, the way you consume them, the way you host them. I mean, every, and it's not just integration. I mean, it's, it's, it's APIs, it's service-based stuff, it's, it's microservices, it's service-oriented architectures. I mean, it can play in all those spaces. It's, a, it's an ESB yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's important to distinguish MuleSoft as, as being that versus a fancy data loader tool. So,
0: and, and I'll say realistically, if you have a MuleSoft problem, you, are, you have a multi-million dollar problem because you've got expensive MuleSoft license fees. You're going to have to get your people trained. They're not cheap people to begin with, but you have to spend the money to get them trained. You're going to have consulting that you're going to have to, because you've got to have consulting help on these things, at least, at least for a while. I mean, you're looking at, you're, you're, it's at least into the seven figures. For that kind of project. Whereas I can do quite interesting integrations with mm-hmm. my little thing for, you know, in, in the thousands. I mean, depending on what they are, you know. Yeah. Well, I have some follow-up yeah. questions, but I want to
1: make also sure I ask say, this last question It's about you. Ballerina, right? Yes, yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, question is, have you heard of Ballerina? And uh, I
0: have. I heard about it on the, um, I guess a few months ago, on the Software Engineering Daily podcast, I think is what it's called. He interviewed like the main, I guess, ballerina guy or inventor or something, and it and it's I haven't really used it. It looks really interesting, I and mean, I feel like they they're getting a lot of things right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a proprietary language, which there's benefits of them because they get they get to create all these keywords and For example, they can build like um, you know JSON and XML right into the programming language itself, versus having. Kind of like C-sharp did, actually, mm-hmm. in certain ways. And, not, and for a long-term language, I always, I always thought that was actually a really controversial move. Why? But, um, because it's like, well, they, put, they made XML part of it. And it's like, okay, one of these days, XML's going to be dead, though. and or we're going to hate it. Or we're going to use JSON or whatever the next, or YAML or whatever. You're going to build all these things into the language. I mean, it's, it seems so arbitrary just to pick one to do anyway. So, I don't know. Just yeah. If you have a good, flexible language anyway, it shouldn't be that hard to, to tunnel these these data formats into, into code anyway. I kind of saw it as, as that the, the
1: infrastructure was there to do that sort of thing. So if they did it right, if it wasn't like just this, this you know, very specific XML implementation, but it was a implementation on top of a, a supported layer of API, then adding a JSON-specific feature or whatever else would, would make it possible.
0: Yeah. But, anyway, I, you know, uh, I don't know much about the runtime. I don't know how message-based it is. I don't know if it has a lot of those concepts that I like to use when building integrations. Um, but it does have, I mean, a lot of its primitives look qu- quite nice and the language looks kind of interesting. I'm definitely, I've, I've, I'd, I would like to play with it. I haven't, I don't know why I haven't, I guess, just time. I definitely, it's on my list to do. I'm going to be, I'm going to be watching them. You know, they're, they're really new is the other problem. Mm. Um, you know, there's just not a lot out there on them yet. But yeah. It looks, it looks really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one I hadn't heard of. So, um, I I mean, was I, I was happy to
1: hear about it and to, to start reading up about and it and they'
0: and they're solving a lot of the right problems i mean they're, yeah. they're, they're you know it deals with concurrency and transaction management and mm-hmm. error management and, and oh and most importantly docker right the yeah, lightweight yeah. container. I was <laughs> going to say um, I'm using i mean almost exclusively I mean that's how I'm deploying integrations is it's all docker. it just mm-hmm. makes it so easy yeah that's 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 not bad either <laughs> i'm still I'm still stuck in my world of uh, uh, Visual Studio Executables But yeah That's Well you can There's no reason You couldn't Dockerize those I mean, No I know I'm just yeah. saying I just I've never really In fact um, Never really Thought I, of it that way I read The other day That um, One of Microsoft's Like main God what What is it Oh no Bing Bing now Runs on the They've it's, I guess Converted all over To it's all Dot net core now I think that's what it was I think that's what I read oh, It's really? like dot net core Running on like Linux machines <laughs> It's just because the, the But it's kind of cool, you the, know. You're running, the, you're running the Windows stack of, running, of servers is too expensive. <laughs> right. I mean, you're you're running. You know, probably it's probably I'm sure something as complicated as being is probably got all kinds of you know different serp, you know orchestrated microservices and stuff. But I mean, it's that's you know, probably like .net things running in containers on Linux servers, and it's all Microsoft running in Azure. And it's, it's I tell you, it's it's a weird world we're living in now. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I don't, Again, I know I'm. I'm starting to sound like a Microsoft fanboy in some ways, but I'm really glad that they like it's like they just woke up one day maybe it's because the whole new ceo thing and be like and they they all of a sudden got it they got it they're they're in a different world if and they needed to change and find some way to the next way to add in a massive amount of value i mean microsoft is a you know 100 billion dollar a year company and you know they they need to find the next thing i mean windows was their kind of 90s cash cow or 2000s or whatever and you know, going forward, it's like it's not going to be Windows. It's not going to be developer tools. They used to make a ton of money on developer tools. It's not going to be developer tools. Yeah. You know, they realize it's it's like heterogeneous services and stuff. That is, you know, if they're successful, that's that's what it's going to do. And they've been doing well. So I'm, I'm, and, I'm with you. I'm
1: I'm, re, I'm <clears> really excited with with how they've kind of changed directions and kind of broadened their scope. And it, it's no longer this kind of single mindset of of vendor lock in and you know, forcing people to kind of follow their policies yeah. and the way they do things. I mean, I feel it's, like that
0: for the most part, people who are doing business, and, and in fact, I think there's something you can't say about Oracle. And to some degree, an increasing degree, probably Salesforce. The people who are doing business with Microsoft nowadays because they want to, not because they have to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm just happy because I've always enjoyed using their tools. I've always enjoyed using their stack. And, uh, you know, I, I, I lost... Love with Windows in, in those iterations. I mean, Ten is is so much better, and I'm I'm liking Ten.
0: But yeah, maybe your next you machine know, will be a uh, Surface, something or another. You, you you say that, but I've, I'm I've, I've not it's, it's on my list. Yeah, a, <laughs> I think that's a distinct possibility. Yeah. I mean, I still there's still enough things about Windows I don't like Windows in particular that mm-hmm. I think probably you are keeping me from really considering that. But yeah. it's a lot of them are, are just aesthetic things that I don't like about Windows. Um. I, I still, I mean, I think any, mach- any like, my main machine I'd have to have would have to be POSIX compliant with real, with, like, a real bash, kind of Z shell mm-hmm. type of thing. Not Even the one that, the, the thing that Microsoft has now, that bash integration or whatever, it's it's okay, but it's, from what I, I've, I've seen some pretty technical analyses of it, and it's, it's still got issues if you're doing fairly hardcore stuff, so. I don't think it would work for me, but, you know. Yeah. I keep, I keep looking at it. We'll see what happens. Well,
1: I have one last question along the lines of integration, and <clears throat> okay. then we'll we'll kill that topic. But um, so, so what do you think are some of the advantages between going custom and having a tool like MuleSoft? Um, I, I think the first things I think of is probably error handling and monitoring.
0: You mean like custom, like someone's going to write a program from the ground mm-hmm. up? I, I wouldn't do it. I don't recommend
1: it. Ever? Small scale, large scale, cheap? Not cheap. Maybe,
0: maybe small scale. Like I could see someone like throwing. Well, I mean, a little, even with the tool that you're talking about, I mean that's custom. It, it is. But I've also been thinking about this problem for 20 years, and 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 solving this problem in different ways for 20 years. You know. I mean, I first read Enterprise Integration Patterns like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and I've been learning more about this space and messaging and all this stuff ever ever since. And so, if I sit, when I sat down to build my little custom thing, I mean, I'm coming from a that perspective and if right. you have that and if you've built these things before and you've made all you've made a lot of mistakes and you you know you know a good way to you know you know how good integrations are built nowadays then maybe I mean the only reason I built it though because I can reuse this and sell it across many clients what mm-hmm. I do would I build this for one-off no because it probably cost me easily hundred thousand dollars a my own time to build it if it was just for one little project or client I would never make my money on it yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if, you've, if you can check all those boxes that I just listed, then maybe, maybe you should build it. Um, that's the, that's the being said, I mean, I've built little, for, for things that are like non-mission critical, I built little things in Python and stuff that just like got, you know, I mean, it's like a hundred line Python program that, that reads from an FTP server, gets a file, parses it, and then like throws some stuff up in Salesforce. hundred lines of Python. <laughs> and it, that works just fine. And it just it never breaks. Mm-hmm. And if that's, you know, I mean, it, it's it's not manageable. It doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't expose, you know, MIB blocks or whatever they are. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to hook your management program up to it or whatever. Um, but it just, it kind of just works. And, you know, if it ever stopped working, then, you know, they'd probably notice it and be like, oh, what happened to that? Oh, it's called Jeremy or whatever. You know, whatever. <laughs> Let's just, oh, restart it. Restart the server, you know. But, you know, those are the, those are not, Expensive. Those are little problems, you know? Yeah. But for big, expensive problems, you know, I would, that's, that's just not going to cut it.
1: Yeah. I think over the years, I've, I've, I've I, I used to kind of be on the side of build it because I kind of enjoyed building them at the time. And, but the problems have gotten big enough that I'm like, eh, you're probably going to buy it because you're not thinking of a lot of things. You're thinking about just getting this data into here. But I'm going to start asking questions like, how do you want to handle error handling? How are you going to want to handle faults? Are you, you going to fail when one record fails? You're going to fail when, when or fail the entire thing and reprocess the whole batch. You know yeah. how are you going to handle this? You know what's is it real time? Is it near real time? Is it is it how 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 much volume are we pushing? Are we going to be able to f- process that much information in the time it takes to for Salesforce to get it in and out? Yep. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is a lot bigger than it that I feel it's a lot bigger than it used to be, and I'm not sure why.
0: Maybe you're just seeing bigger problems. I mean, there's still I don't know. I feel like there's still small companies with little uh, you little know i I,
1: I, I I always find that the smaller companies have the bigger problems because the, the other guys have infrastructure. They have servers for me to put stuff on. They have databases for me to stage something or offload some processing. The smaller guys have nothing, and I have to build all that, and I have to build something that doesn't rely on that, that type of infrastructure. So I always feel like the smaller guys are the harder guys to integrate than, than say, the bigger enterprise guys. Because the enterprise guys are like, oh, I'll just give you a database, you can stage it there, and then we'll do some post-processing after that, or, oh, there's an error, just... just send this message here, it'll, it'll notify our team and we'll, we know what to do after that. You know, it's, it's the smaller guys that don't have this infrastructure or those, those resources or people to
0: handle it that yeah, scare okay. me. Right. So you kind of have to, you have to build that into your program almost. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can see that. Or you just have a
1: very unsophisticated, unsophisticated client that didn't want to dedicate a username for the integration and keeps changing their darn password and then says, your integration broke. And I go in and go, you changed the password yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here's how you go and fix it. Right. <laughs> I actually use, I mean, you know, it's just for Salesforce integrations. I, u- I use that quite a bit. The, the fact that when you, if the integration, uh, if you have a dedicated user license for the integration, when the integration updates a record, it's going to set the last modified by a user to that integration user. Right. And I need, that actually is something I, I rely on because, um... When it, if it's like, if you're like polling for changes to certain records, um, if it was, it can, it can, it can get caught up so that like the record it just modified, mm-hmm. it can see that as like, oh, that's a changed record. Right. But if you can look to see that, is it a record that the integration changed or so you know, that was just part of the, like that last part of the cycle or did some other user change it? Right. So you have to use that. I'm, I'm a fan of dedicated user account and
1: dedicated profile A because you can lock that down since it is a public-facing yeah. interface into the system. Mm-hmm. And two, you can, you can program your workflows, your process builders, or whatever else to recognize that profile and either not process or do something
0: extra yeah. because it sees that it, an integration is running. And also just like auditing and troubleshooting. It, just, it's, yeah. it really is a good idea to have a, a, a dedicated license yeah. for the integration. Feature integration is like another user. Yeah. That's just your, a little bot. it's a little robot. That's your good day, sir. Integration pro tip right there. Yeah. I well, have a little.
1: I have a little pro tip that okay. I learned the other day that, I've I've never, I've never really had this problem where I really wanted to test how my interface performed when there was very little bandwidth, so I never really knew how to do that.
0: A uh, Chrome developer. I it, yeah. <laughs> so that was going to be my little
1: pro tip for anyone that who's just a, who just a, no. didn't dawn on me yeah. to do that. And I was like, because I've I've tested you know like on different browsers. I've I've tested on all these different things. I've never actually tried to, res- or if I do need to test, I'll load up my phone, but phones are so fast now right. that I can't really gauge, yep. you know, what happens when there's not enough bandwidth. Why don't you plug in your US Robotics 14.4K modem? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, at first I was thinking like, is there some like hardware thing where I can throttle my my internet speed? I hit the turbo <laughs> button on your computer. Oh, you don't have one of those. I don't have one of those. <laughs> you remember those? No. You don't remember turbo buttons? No. On like 286s or I, 386s? Well, I, I remember them. Okay. I know what they are, but I never had one that had a turbo <laughs> okay. button. But yeah, I remember them. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I, my, my whole train of thought was, I need to test this and see what happens on low bandwidth because I think it's going to be an issue. And I was like, I was like, is there like, some hard- hardware thing I can do where I can plug it into my router and like, just have a knob where I throttle my connection? And so I just started Googling, and then it came up, and I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and it's going to Chrome, going to yeah. DevTools, going to Network, and you can set what connection speed. You can either do it manually or you can do one of the presets. Yeah.
0: And it works great. I mean, Tim, and that... I mean, it, Chrome's developer tool is one of those things that, I mean, it does so much nowadays. Yeah. It's just huge. It's one, one reason why I can't quit Chrome because if it wasn't for the developer tools, I totally would, like, it would not be my main browser. Yeah. For I kind of want to quit Chrome, but I have to keep coming back yeah. to it. Um, another thing that does that's kind of cool, and it's, it's not perfect, but it's, it gets you 90% of what you need. It can um, emulate uh, almost any device. You can say iPhone 7 Plus or whatever. Yeah, I use that all the time. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the thralling thing
1: was when I just had a blind spot yeah, on. no, it's really cool. I use yeah. that all the time. And it worked out, especially because I was trying to create a delay when something loaded. And I was like, well, if I'm using a, a window timeout, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run my code before the page actually loads if it's really low bandwidth connection. And I was able to prove that out. Yeah. So it, it
0: helped me out there. And even if you're not slowing it down, just, just seeing that, um, I call it the waterfall, the waterfall, that, that time, Mm -hmm. the network request timeline. Yeah. I mean, that's really useful too. Yeah. You can, I mean, just look, just looking at the shape of that, you can find problems. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how
1: chatty lightning is. I mean, that thing loads and just that whole tree of (laughs) network and and commands and posts and requests. I'm like, oh my God. It lights up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) It does. I'm like,
0: I can't make sense of this anymore. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. And, and. You know, lightning for the little that I've used it I mean, it, it does. You know, it, it does certain things. It does just kind of bootstraps in the beginning, but then, you know, it it'll load the whatever kind of module you're in into a state that's somewhat usable. Yeah. And I guess you can kind of count that as okay, ready. We're in ready state now, but it, it keeps doing things in the background to actually finish make it completely usable. Like there's, yeah, and it's which is kind of a great technique. I mean, that's you know, I'm not criticizing that's. That's a good thing to do. Like, if you can somehow make it like minimally usable in a way that covers like ninety percent of use cases, right? And then over the next three or four seconds, re-enable all the other stuff with, right. without the user even kind of they can you can't even tell what's happening, and you know, it's not distracting or whatever. You don't see like because if stuff is still appearing on the screen right. and making maybe making some stuff shift around, then that's not that's not good. But I mean, there's things in the background that I've noticed that it's like you can see it enabling stuff that mm-hmm. it's, it's bringing in later, so that it's not, it's not delaying like the time to ready, basically. Right.
1: Um, that reminded me. Thank you for saying that. And um, I thought I had a link to it, but I don't. Um, I learned how to um, disable the caching. You can actually do it in the settings. I would only recommend doing in it in Sandbox. Salesforce? Yeah. Okay. So you can, there's actually a setting, and uh, just Google it. Just, go, just Google it. Okay. <laughs> but Google it, and you can actually turn off um, c- caching for the entire, for the entire application. Um, I definitely wouldn't leave it on because everything's slower. But at least when you're developing and you're trying to refresh and you're trying to develop something and get a paid uh, lightning component to to work,
0: um, that's, that saved me so much time when I figured hmm. that out. I, I have a question, and this is so rec- remedial lightning, so I'm sorry, everyone. But does, does lightning actually, will it cache an, like an actual record, like data? Yes. So if I go, let's say I look in an account, and then I go to a contact, mm-hmm. then I go back to that account. hmm it showed me a cached version of that account. Mm-hmm. Could be okay. Yeah, that does that, that does cause it causes a lot of problems.
1: It does. Um, we've had I've had a number of uh, kind of test failures, functional test failures from from people, and yeah. go uh, just refresh one more time, please. Okay. Yeah, it's there. Oh, you didn't
0: hit Shift when you clicked refresh. <laughs> Hold Shift and click refresh. Is that still a thing? <laughs> I think it is. I like, there's so. two
1: different levels of refresh. That well, there's three. Yeah. Oh, well, oh Chrome God. gives you three. You get the like the
0: hard refresh, and then on like the full like. Clear cache and refresh, or something, and then the last one's like do a Department of Defense compliant <laughs> erase of my hard drive, and then yeah. reinstall the operating system, and then reload the <laughs> web page. <laughs> that would be convenient. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I thought we could talk about release notes, but I am running out of time. Wait, where, how are we doing here? No. Oh yeah, we're over now. Yeah, we're so. over. Okay. We still got to post. In right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's. I don't know if you look. Have you looked at the release notes yet? No, I haven't. So okay. let's, let's so delete it. Maybe that'll give you some. If you have time, we can talk about it next week. All right. Um, any announcements, John? Uh, no.
1: No, I think we're.
0: Okay. We're just doing well, our thing. In that case, <laughs> join our Slack, gooddaysirpodcast.com. Click on community. We have a, a growing, fun, helpful community. That's some amazing technical conversation about hierarchical data in Salesforce that just blew my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but all kinds of, all kinds of, and, you know, we're, we're funny, we're fun, we're respectful, but we also, it's a very helpful community. So if you haven't joined yet, give it a shot. Uh, if you want to send us an email, you can do that, info at gooddaysforpodcast.com. You know, anything's welcome, questions, tips, complaints, uh, whatever. And then, uh, we always like reviews. And the stars, all the stars, all the hearts, all the love, all those things. Should I just pre-record this? I know, I could, but that would, you know. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. All right, John. Well, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir!